Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. They're all funny, you know, everybody's funny. But the problem is they don't know how to set up a joke. So, so they just go right to the funny. And the, um, one thing that makes an audience not laugh is when they have no idea what you're talking about. You know, we've all been to a comedy club and go, oh, what? What do you say? I don't get it. And you're not laughing. You're going like, huh? What? Hmm? So the setup pulls the audience in. That's the job of the setup. Uh, it pulls it into your topic. So let's say you're talking about a breakup. Hot breath. What is goody, hot breath verse? Welcome back to the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I'm your host, comedian Joel Byers. And hot breath is on a mission to cultivate the next generation of great self-made comics. And we're doing a little run of author interviews. We actually, in our Hot Breath Pro community, interviewed all the top comedy authors in the game, and you're going to get access to them in these weekly episodes for the next few weeks. Today's episode was actually guest-hosted by Hot Breath Pro member Bo Johnson. This whole series was actually his idea, and I just wanted to help Hot Breath help us capture some of the greatest comedy minds in the world. So today's guest is the author of the world-famous Comedy Bible. I will say the audio quality is not the best because she was from her phone and also traveling about, but it was worth still posting for all the helpful content inside. So I'm so excited to share with you this behind-the-scenes look at one of the world's most well-known comedy authors. We are a For Comics by Comics community. We're doing live streams every single week on our YouTube channel, so if you're not subscribed, click the link in the description to subscribe to our YouTube channel and join us on future Q&As. But now there is only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath with Judy Carter. All right, so let's get into this. Um, so yeah, again, welcome. And so how long have you been doing comedy? I think I came out of the womb going like, what the hell was that? And who the hell are you? <laughs> I, I, I really do. I think I was born, you know, I like Joan Rivers book, you know, enter laughing. I, I think that's, that's what happened to me. I, you know, was such a failure as a child um and i was laughed at and i had a terrible speech impediment um i couldn't pronounce words right and uh, i had a sister who was severely disabled and um just uh, you know it just was difficult so i decided to like encourage laughs like um you know, pretend uh, I spoke weird on purpose um, to get laughs. And I think everyone in, you ever talk to who's, you know, made a living at doing comedy can tell you the same story that it's, you know, we all um, became funny just out of necessity, <laughs> you know, and how good it feels when you get a laugh. And, uh, that's that's pretty much what you hear, hear. You'll hear from any person who does comedy, you know. 
<laughs> so come when you uh, came into comedy, who were who were your influences? Well, um, of course, every girl loved uh, Lucille Ball. You know, just loved her, um, and uh, and then. I remember watching on the Carson show, Joan Rivers. And I didn't realize that at the time um, that she practiced her comedy, like she wrote all this material and worked on it and worked on it and honed it. And then when she sat down to do panel, you know, she did her material. And I just thought, wow, she's just naturally funny. And, and of course, you know, Joan Rivers was naturally funny. But the secret is to make it look like you're just thinking of it. And she was that good at it. And, um, and that's when I went, God, I would love to be able to do that. And I, of course, um, didn't go into comedy. I went into magic. Um, and um, became a magician and created quite a profitable birthday party business from that. So I'd say by the age of eight, I sometimes had four gigs a weekend. So that's the way it was. That's a very profitable eight-year-old. You know, that's what I discovered. Um, and I think a lot of us, the experiences that we have in our childhood hold us the rest of our lives like I learned at an early age that you can make a living from doing what you love to do and I and I had that experience of that and that served me for the rest of my life because a lot of people are it seems like impossible how do you make a living um, from writing or from performing or from speaking you know, it, it, it baffles them. And I think when you have that experience as a kid, it seems more accessible. Um, right? So, yeah, very much. Um, so let, we're going to discuss in your book, um, the comedy Bible. How long did it take for you to, to write that thing? Because when I, when I read it, it is just packed with everything a person needs to know, a comic needs to know. So how long did it take to write that? Well, you're talking about the new comedy Bible, right? Because the uh, original comedy Bible was written in 2001, yeah. and it's a bit dated. Um, you know, it says Bill Cosby is a hero, and Louis mm -hmm. C.K. is a hero, and, uh, you know, I mean, yes, they're brilliant comics, but <laughs> uh, let's not consider them icons and people, uh, talent to emulate. So I went, you know what? I've got to write a New Testament. And comedy has changed so much, <laughs> you know? So I wrote the New Testament and it came out. It, um, it came out. Well, actually, the Audible book came out uh, just three weeks ago. And it was the, um, proud to say, the number one new release. It hit the number one mark of the new release on Amazon. So I was thrilled about that. And how long did it take me to write? Well, of course, how long does it take one to write the Bible? But six days, and then I rested. Then I took a nap <laughs> on the seventh day. Um, I wrote it, I guess it took me about, 
Well, are we including procrastination and putting it down and doing other stuff? Um, you know, I guess it would be, I'd have to say a year and a half. Wow. Yeah, yeah a year and counts. a half. I, I think that counts because I remember you saying in the book that, hey, we're comics, so we're procrastinators. They, uh, it kind of comes hand in hand. Yeah, because, you know, there's, there's power in putting things aside and... Um, and then your subconscious is working on it. You don't realize, but the creative process needs space. And um, the problem is if you never get back to it, but your subconscious is working on it. And um, at least that's what I like to say. Um, and then you get back to it. And then to really get it going, I just you know, gave myself a hard deadline. And... Um, and I worked out a deal for uh, uh, the publication of it and they gave me a hard deadline. So it's always when somebody else is waiting for something, it makes it, um, I don't know if the word is easier, but it makes it happen. And I'm so glad I did it. I just was going, I don't know if I want to redo this book. It's because I didn't just do a rewrite. I did a completely new book. Um, with 48 exercises that weren't in the previous book um, and focusing strictly on um, stand-up and finding your persona and writing authentic material. And um, I even have um, a lot of exercises for people who don't want to be stand-up comics, but when they speak, they want to get laughs. And so I wrote some easy ways Kind of like insert your topic here and it will be funny. So I made it um, really accessible for either the person who wants to put the kind of work into it that people like Joan Rivers did or, um, you know, people who just want to get a laugh. So when you went into writing this book, what were some of the common mistakes that you would find with new comics? Oh, God. Well, you go to open mic and all they do is talk about their genitals. <laughs> hey, and I am not down on a really good, you know, dick joke. I mean, yeah, okay, fine. Or if you want to talk about, you know, your body parts or pubic hair or, you know, go to it. But, you know, when to really stand out I mean then you're just going to be like everybody else just doing shock humor like I'm just going to be nasty that's the problem and I think the real work in comedy is taking something that's really upsetting to you something that's real for you and squeezing laughs out of it like it could be you know like a parent's funeral something really affected you profoundly and how do you how do you squeeze laughs out of that? Um, so that's that's the um, that's what I, I think is the way to go. Um, so the biggest mistake to answer your question is that, and um, and here's an odd mistake too. You're going to think this is really weird, but you when when you're doing comedy. You're doing it wrong if you're trying to be funny. And I know that's weird to say, right? Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. But we've all gone a date with somebody who is trying desperately to make us love them. And it's a guarantee you're going to find them needy and repulsive. So the secret is not to try and be funny. Um, just to let it, let it be, you know, let be honest about it. Um, so one of the things I, I have noticed with um, all the books that I've, I've looked at, including yours, is one of the biggest common themes with comedy is attitude. You've got to have attitude. Can you dive further into why that attitude for a comic or comedian is important to have on stage? Yeah, um, because um, audiences don't respond to words. They respond to emotion. You know, if I said to you... Um, um, if I said to you like um, something flat, like if I just go, um, let's give me any topic, like um, growing, growing up, um, it was really hard and, um, and you're starting to tell a story about growing up and, um, but it's flat, but it, boy, was it hard. Anybody else have a hard childhood? Wasn't it hard? So I have these words that you need to use, which is it's hard. It's so hard. And, and that's one of them. There's four of them. And these are attitude words, you know, and if you put one of these words in front of your topic, it propels the, the, um, the words to the audience. It actually gives them energy and propulsion. So you go, it's hard. Oh, God, you know, it's weird. You know, it's weird. Um, if you go, this vaccine is so weird because, and then I'm going to say something about it. But if you go, I had this vaccine, it's flat. So the attitude word weird. So the words are hard, weird, scary. You know, it's scary. It pulls the audience in. They want to know. Hard, weird, scary, and stupid. Oh, my God, this thing is so stupid. So we use these words to propel our material forward, you know, for the audience to hear. It's hard to get people to pay attention these days, you know, everybody's really busy and um, distracted. So when you hit them with those attitude words, um, you're selling the joke. You just can't expect people just, oh, I'm just going to listen to you because, you you know, you're talking to a mic. No, not the case. That 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 is interesting. How you brought you you mentioned that um, is that short that very goldfish attention span that we have in the twenty first <laughs> century, and so to keep that attention of an audience member is is so important. Yeah. Um, and so um, actually, and actually, with with that, one of our listeners had asked. Um, ben Webb asked, "How much does the facial expression?" help with the landing of a joke <laughs> so you know you talk about like at you talk about attitude such and a weird question out. that's such a weird question i'm going to like i'm sorry but um as we talk i have to get into my car because unfortunately i have to go to the dentist today um but what will i hope if i i lose you i'll just get back with you but i'm sure i'll be okay so um this is my house by the way Nice my yard. I bought Very it. Nice it cost patio. me thousands of jokes. Do you know how many jokes this cost me? Oh, my God. Um, 
Ah, oh, gosh, uh, I'm very grateful. So uh, facial expression. Well, here's the thing. You kind of hack and a fraud because your facial expressions don't match what you're talking about. So your face, you should not worry about your facial expressions. What you should worry about is that you are talking about and that, um, okay, can you hear me now? Yep, you're good. Okay, I'm good to go, okay. Yep. All right. All right. All right. There all right, we go. So, uh, all right. Awesome. So in your book, you mentioned with, uh, with setups that many new comics have a tough time understanding the jokes start off not being funny. They shouldn't be funny on the setup. And that's one of the things I've heard a lot of veteran comics say. And I know my own experience is that we kind of often have no intention to make the setup funny, but we're just, for whatever reason, we're doing that. And we often get the joke backwards. We, you know, like, do you want to give me an example? Did, does anybody, why don't we have some people try out some jokes and I'll just um, help them with it. Okay. Does anybody right. want to do that? Yeah, I'm sure. Like, we, like we if some. somebody wants to do that, I'm really good at that. Okay. Um, um, well, so we'll anybody see how listening, good I, am. <laughs> um, I am actually watching the uh, the feed. So if anybody wants to try out one of their jokes, um, certainly let me know. Um, and then yeah, we'll, that we'll would try be to fun. come back to that. Okay, um, so here's the thing. We're doing a, a actual um, a showcase tomorrow night. Okay. Um, and uh and so we've been working with these um, these uh, comics, um, and they're all funny. You know, everybody's funny, but the problem is they don't know how to set up a joke. So, so they just go right to the funny. And the, um, one thing that makes an audience not laugh is when they have no idea what you're talking about. You know, we've all been to a comedy club and go, "Oh, what? What do you say? I don't get it." And you're not laughing. You're going like, huh, what? Hmm? So the setup pulls the audience in. That's the job of the setup. Uh, it pulls it into your topic. So let's say you're talking about a breakup, you know? And the setup is, you know, uh, oh boy, aren't breakups hard, people? Isn't it hard? Um, it's hard because when, it's hard when they're just unexpected, you know? There were, there, were, there were three small, subtle clues I should have known the relationship was over. Okay. So I none of that is funny, is it? No. So now I've set up the joke, right? And I said there are three subtle clues that the relationship is over. So now I'm going to go into a formula called the list of three. And the list of three <coughs> is, oh, shoot, I forgot to bring water. Uh, the list of three is that you have two um, two things, and then the third one's a turn. So every joke has to go someplace. It has to have a surprise in it. That's why stories don't work. Stories don't make people laugh. A jokes do. So you go, you know, boy, it's so hard. I just broke up. I should have known. 
you know, it's weird when it comes out of nowhere. There are three subtle clues that my relationship was over. We're not kissing as much, you know, we're not going on vacation. Uh, uh, he moved in with his new wife. And subtle clues, right? Okay, and the third one is, is not so subtle to, you know, he's issued a restraining order. I mean, you can do whatever you want on that third one. So I have sucked the audience in to my setup. And the setup should be real. I should have really have just broken up with someone. And that's what I'm talking about on stage. And, um, and then I go into the extra, one of the exercises in the new comedy Bible called the list of three where you do small, small, big, subtle, subtle, obvious, you know, it's a pattern. Um, actually, let's see here. Somebody just actually put in a joke. Uh, oh, that's good. Th they say marriages like this is coming from Jody Carter. Um, Jody, meet Jody. Uh, so they say marriage is a gamble and the best you can hope for is 50-50 split. But if you add life insurance, it's because winner takes all. Okay, well, um, okay, which is, I didn't get that joke because there's a lot of math, right? <laughs> That's the <laughs> problem with that joke. There's a lot of math. It's just, say the joke one more time, please. Okay. Uh, let's see here. They say marriage is a gamble and the best you can hope for is a 50, 50 split. But if you add life insurance, it becomes winner. Okay. Take okay. All. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. It's missing the setup. So let's just, let's just do it with a setup. They say that, um, you know, marriage is a gamble. It's a 50, 50 strip, you know, and that's stupid. It's, so add that word, add the attitude word. So you set up the joke and then you have to go, that's stupid. Because if you add life insurance, it's winner take all, right? There and you then you need an act out. You can't end the joke there. You need an act out where you act out. So you're obviously making a winner take all. You're making a poker reference. It's like, okay, I will double down on your two affairs and uh, take, uh, um, and you gave me herpes. And that means, thank you, I have just won the pot. Bye, <laughs> right? So we've dealt, we, we've taken, she's doing something, Jody. Uh, it's very funny what you did. But now we, we need to, there are two elements that you, you know, you really need in a joke. And that is where you act out the scene. So if you bring in um, poker, then show me the scene of you, you know, okay, I see you've got on the table, you know, an affair with my best friend, didn't, you know, whatever I said. And that means you've got life insurance and so winner takes all. So I delay the, I delay the punchline, right? I delay, I hook the audience in, delay the punchline and, uh, I, you know, uh, uh, very often, like Jody had an idea for a joke about life insurance, winner take all. Okay. And it's kind of like a one liner, but stand up is no longer one liners. It's a setup and an act out. So once we translate that into stand up comedy format, she gets more laughs, bigger laughs, and it becomes a really good joke.
Let's see here. Uh, Sullivan Hamilton. Uh, um, her joke is, my brother is 30, but he still calls summertime. Hold on. Let me see. My brother is 30, but he still calls summertime kitty pool June. I asked, do you ever fill the kid pool with anything other than water? He says bitches. Yeah, I didn't know what to do with that. Um, well, obviously you're making a joke about your brother is immature. Now, let me bring out another thing. You're doing jokes about your brother. You want to do a bit, write about 10 of them. So we want to take a topic. And obviously her brother is, um, call them bitches. Okay, so he's irresponsible and he's a misogynist, I guess is what she's saying about her brother, mm -hmm. right? Well, the joke is flat because it's like, my brother's this and he does this. It's all about that. You've got to do something with it. So let's mix in something. So if you go, you know, my brother is such a loser. You know, it's so weird that he still finds women to go out with, right? Okay. Uh, you know, he's the kind of, I mean, he's the kind of guy who still calls summertime. Like, you know, he hasn't grown up. He still calls summertime. What's it? It's a pool. It's bitches, right? Can you imagine him as um, a dating advisor? Can you imagine him as um, giving advice on suicide hotline? Can you imagine, you know, can you imagine him as a therapist talking to people with couple problems, right? So, and then we do an act out. We do an act out. Oh, okay. So she doesn't listen to you, right? Well, just dump the bitch. Right? And you do an act out of him. But you have to take a joke someplace. You have to mix in. Oh, wait one second. I'm on an LA freeway and I have to change lanes. Okay. Please you have careful. to do something with it. Yeah. So that technique is called a mix. Mixes always start with, can you imagine if? what if okay it's just like so you bring in another element so again the joke is not flat you're bringing in an element into it does that make sense mm -hmm. okay yeah so you need to bring a list of three you know the things that my brother would bring on a date are one two and the third one is you know really you know is his wife you know, his other girlfriend, like, you know, a credit card for dinner and his wife, you know, because he's an idiot. <laughs> oh, there you go, Sullivan. And then you uh, want to bring it back to you, you know, how, how has that affected you? And that brings in another joke. It's weird because, you know, I, from growing up with my brother, I assumed all men were like him. You know, and, and then you keep going. You, you do a deep dive into your topic. Sullivan says, thank you. Thank you very much um, for that. Let's see, we have one more. Patrick Simeon, he says, when I was 12, my best friend and I promised we would get married if we were both single at 38 years old. Now that it's that time, I'm announcing 
that I wish she wasn't imaginary. Okay, well, that's a story. You know, my, the, um, I thought it was going my best. You know, it's weird. You got to set it up, not about you, but you got to set it up about the audience. So I would take the word out of my. I don't like to have I, me, or my. Anybody have a best friend growing up? Remember, you're talking to an audience. So you want to include them in. Anybody have a best friend growing up, you know? Isn't it weird how you make those promises? We're going to get married when we grow up, right? We're going to, that's it. We're going to have a family. And then you're 30 and you realize, oh, but I'm not gay. (laughs) You you go someplace else with it. But if you go, he was an imaginary, it's, I don't know. You have to have a jump a turn, take the audience to a place they didn't see coming. I don't think it works out that he was imaginary because it defeats the setup. The setup is, you said, I had a friend growing up and we promised each other. Now you said, well, I really didn't have a friend growing up. I just lied to you. And that doesn't work for me because I just go, oh, I thought you said. So when when I look at jokes, I always do a logic of it. It's like, um, It has to be logical. So if you tell me you had a friend growing up and you made a promise to that friend, and then you tell me that friend never existed, I'm not gonna go with you on your next joke. I'm I'm thinking you're just full of shit. Um, So setups have to be authentic. You can't go, um, you know, hey everybody, uh, you know, it's, it's so weird, but I lost 150 pounds. And then the audience applauds. You go, yeah, I dumped my husband. Um, they go, oh, I thought you said you lost 150 pounds. Now, you might get a laugh, but you're sacrificing your authenticity. Patrick says, thank you. Uh, I was thinking the joke was too wordy. I will definitely adjust it using your tips. Um, and if any other comedians that are that are watching right now, we have quite a few. Yeah, um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Stand up. If you want to do stand up, make people laugh. You're going to bomb if you do storytelling. Now, storytelling is awesome. I love storytelling. I tell stories um, and I go off to do a little stand up. Like I might tell a story about growing up and then I hit puberty and then I'll do some jokes on puberty, stand up on puberty. But when we do stand up, there is no story. There is no, so there I was and I went here and I did this. No, it's a setup and a payoff. That's what stand up is. And it's a very specific format. So if you're a musician and you go, you know what? I really am not into scales or chords or, You know, keeping time, that's not my thing. Well, you're not going to be a good um, musician. And if you want to be a stand-up comic, you go, you know, I'm not into setups. I don't like having attitude. Well, you're not doing stand-up. You know, you're you're doing a story. You're at a poetry reading. You're in in a conversation. So stand-up is a very specific form of entertainment. And anybody who's getting paid, and my students include, um, you know, Seth Rogen took my class. You know, he's a movie star. Sherry Shepard, Maz Jobrani, 
they all trained with me and they learned the stand-up formula and they know the stand-up format. They know what a premise is. They know what a payoff is. They know how to set up a joke. You've got to know um, the basic rules. And in the new comedy Bible, uh, I have them laid out. And then I give you different formulas so you can use it and, and do an assortment of jokes. The book was written um, to, um, to, to get 60 minutes of new material. So if you do the exercise in this book, you're going to have plenty of material to do on an open mic. Um, and, and as we're waiting for more jokes to come in, um, so one of the, um, you wrote that the people will not laugh if they cannot connect to your material. And I know like even in my earlier on, when I started doing comedy, um, I had the same problem. I'm a white man married to an African-American woman, and I've had to learn a lot real quick of black culture and hair and just all that stuff. And so I would make jokes on this. And one of the things I noticed is that the only people in the audience that would laugh were African-American men and women because they had that connection, but white people could not laugh because there was no connection. So anyone that's struggling with this kind of thing of making that connection with people that may not understand what they're talking about, how do they make a, can they make a quick connection? And if so, how? Um, your circumstance is a very interesting one. Um, and it's very tricky right now in this um, time of cultural appropriation, appropriateness, being woke, you know, um, the BL, uh, black movement, you, a white guy talking about black people, even if you're married to one, is a, is a very tricky, um, a very tricky thing. It's very tricky. Um, really difficult and I feel for you because um, that's hard to do. And, and I think that if I was to, let's say you were in my stand-up class and I was to say, let's talk about, first of all, some jokes about how hard it is to write jokes about this topic, right? So mm -hmm. that's the truth of the matter right now that I think everybody would relate to. I think, you know, getting to the truth is, uh, is, uh, is going on a deep dive into your topic. So there's that. As far as connecting, well, you might notice that practically every comic talks about sex, dating, their parents, uh, their work, being a waitress, being, you know, topics that we all can relate to. We've all been to a restaurant. We all know what waiting is. We don't, ha don't have to have been a waitress. But picking a topic that is real for you, that the audience knows about, you know, is, is um, tricky, you know? It's like we have in our upcoming showcase, a woman from Luxembourg. And um, because our uh, comedy workshop is now online, we have people from all over the world attending it. And, she's making jokes about Luxembourg. I go, you know what? That's not gonna work because we're Americans. We have no idea that Luxembourg 
is actually a, a country. Nobody, you know, nobody in America knows geography and that needs to be your joke. So you need to come at it from what we're thinking about you, you know? <laughs> Luxembourg, oh my God, is that somewhere in the Bronx? You know, it's like people don't know. So you have to do jokes like that because what she was doing is not going to connect. So you got to go, where, where does your life intersect with what's going on in the world? Awesome. Awesome. Um, Trent Babb asks, can you talk about developing a strong opener? Yeah, I think a strong open. And, and again, it's in the new comedy Bible, which I think is selling for like, I don't know why it's been marked down to $8 on Amazon, but go figure. Anyway, um, a strong opening is if you have something visual about yourself and you can do some lighthearted self-mocking about something that they see. So I always think a good opening is leaving yourself open, first of all, for something that just happened in the room Maybe someone just dropped dishes. Maybe, maybe the air conditioning went out. Maybe something just happened. That's always the strongest because it doesn't have to be so funny because um, they know you just thought of it. They know it's spontaneous. So that's the best opening. The second best opening is where you make fun of yourself like um, something that they can see. You have big hair, you have no hair. You have um, something that they can see about you that is um, some way you're not perfect. You know, you're really overweight, you're old. Um, you're um, something immediate, like that's, that's now, that's happening now. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You know, I used to like like um, open with, um, uh, let's see. Okay, when I have a gig at 8 a.m. and it's a corporate gig, let's say it's a corporate gig, right? Mm -hmm. And I go, boy, this is weird. Um, um, usually I'm performing for an audience who's drunk, not hung over, and they all laugh because mm -hmm. it's, it's about them. They had a party last night. It's eight in the morning. They look really tired. And wow, that's how to, that's how to make people love you in a few seconds, you know, have it be about either something immediate about them or something that's about you. Yeah. Let's see. We have a joke from um, actually the, our founder of hot breath, Joel Byers, he said his joke is, I grew up wearing husky jeans, which is the first fat shaming clothing. I don't want to be named <laughs> after us. <laughs> I don't want to be named after a sled husky. dog just because I pant like one eating school lunch. <laughs> That's really funny. Just set it up because you can, again, let's get more jokes out of that. You go, you know, you know. It's hard being overweight growing up because of the names of our clothing. Just that's all you have to do. And, and then now that opens up. Husky gym, husky jeans. What about something for women? You know, it's like, 
what do they call like the dress barn? <laughs> you know, they have really have come and then do the commercial for it. Come on in, fat. you're fat. Come on, we got wide doors. Come on into the dress barn. So now you got so when you're doing jokes about yourself rather than about the topic, you're limiting yourself. Because he had a funny joke, really good, good, good premise, really funny, made me laugh about um, his experience. But why do it about your experience? It's a story. Do it about the topic. It's so hard when you're overweight. They shame kids, right? <laughs> These names are horrible that they have. I Then you can do a joke about you. What about women? They have, you know, this and and then the women will love you. You know, when, when you can do jokes about how hard it is for heavier women, and you do it, they will, you will immediately have, you know, triple your followers on Instagram with jokes like that. Because it's not just about you. It's about, you know, your topic, about fat shaming. And and it's about women and children, and you can squeeze so many more jokes out of it, right? Right. I mean, that was that was great. Uh, let's see, Mike Marr, his joke. I had a cow lick in grade school. Cow licks suck because everyone stared. It felt like a third hand was attached to my forehead. Look at me. I'm an idiot. I'm not cool. That was during Beatlemania craze. Damn those Beatles. <laughs> I love that. I would I would set up the joke backwards. You know, I, I was in school during Beatlemania and it was so hard when all the girls were screaming to the Beatles. It was so hard to be cool when you had short hair with a cowlick. Right? I, I would I would end the joke with a cowlick. And I would set it up with how hard it was to be cool when everybody was screaming the words, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then I would do an act out of a girl going, hmm, who's, who's my favorite? Is it John, Paul, Ringo, or George? Oh, no one was saying, no, it's Brian with the cowlick. He's the one that I want to make out with. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh and, all right uh, i'm almost about to turn in we're gonna have to wrap it up all right um because i'm right. going into a garage now and, and i think i hope they give me gas for my filling but i just want to say if you email me free at judycarter.com um i'll give you um i have all this free stuff on um and information about our upcoming classes and a free subscription. Um, I used to charge seven seventy for it, but during the pandemic, I've opened up my speaking um, university for free, and so many people have gotten gigs out of it. So I'll just send you the link if you just email me free at judycarter.com, and uh, and that's. That's it. This has been fun. I've never done it uh, driving before, so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad I could work this into my schedule. Well, thank you so much, Judy. Uh, hopefully, we can get you back on soon because now everybody's like, "Oh, joke, 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 joke." Now they're just like throwing jokes. So hopefully, we can get you back on. Hey, I'm going to be on Clubhouse. 
I'm going to okay. be on Clubhouse uh, fixing jugs. So get on there and I'll help you out. All right. Well, Judy, thank you so much. Good luck with the dentist and uh, be safe. There it is, Hot Breath of Verse. I have linked Judy's book in the description of this episode. And don't forget, go subscribe to our YouTube channel to be a part of our weekly live streams. And if you want to level up your own comedy game, we do offer classes and workshops to help you do that, all linked in the description of this episode. I love you all so much. And until next Monday, right here on Hot Breath. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.